0: This is that we can see and embrace and hold in our hands, we should turn into an act of worship where we say, God, you are good and you're crazy good at being creative and all this stuff that you made is amazing and it blows my mind and we worship you and you alone. Thank you for showing us these pictures of your power and your Godhoodness based on these things that you've made. We got to make sure we always only worship the Creator and not the Created.
1: It's easy to let the things we see become the things you make a priority. They're tangible. You can experience it and receive instant, though fleeting, satisfaction. But what you experience may quickly turn into a form of idolatry, putting something or someone above God in your life. While you don't see carved statues being worshipped that often now, Pastor Daniel wants you to remember today that idolatry is still a dangerous and very real issue. Here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 4 as he continues his message. Listen up.
0: You can go down the line in every area of our lives and say, if I honor God's word and live this out, what is the outcome? At some point, someone's going to say, man, God is so near. I mean, you're going through this thing, or you had this great victory, and instead of just figuring out how you're going to build a bigger addition on your house, you're saying, hey, how can I bless these people? When everyone else is hoarding, you're generous, and you do all these different things, and all of a sudden people start to think, they must really believe in God. And they see the blessings of our lives, not the material blessings, but the overwhelming peace that surpasses all understanding. They say, God is near to those people. You know what my prayer is for not just Crossroads, but the church, the church with a big C, is that all of us would walk in the spirit and then people would be crawling over themselves to get into church to figure out what is going on in there? Why are they like that? Why do they really love people? Why do they serve? Why is there forgiveness? Why is there peace? Why is there, when something goes down, people rally around them? I want to be a part of that. And it was once said that, If the people of God lived out the word of God, you'd never have to have an evangelistic crusade because people would be pouring over themselves to get in the doors of a church to find out what was up with those people. That's my prayer for my own life, that my own life would be lived in such communion with God based on his word that it would be undeniable that God is near that people would see that God is near because he would be in our midst in such a powerful, powerful way. Now in verse 9, look at what it says. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. Lest you depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Verse 10, especially concerning the day that you stood before the Lord your God in Mount Horeb, where the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. Then, You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain and the mountain burned with fire and from the midst of heaven with darkness, cloud and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire and you heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard my voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform the 10 commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. Now, in verse 9, you see that Moses, inspired by the Spirit, is really driving us into this reality that obedience is absolutely necessary. It's the key. Look what it says. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget. You notice how he's heaping adverbs on this. Take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself. See, he's not willing to say, listen, just make sure you focus and keep close. He's like, and diligently do it. And in a lot of ways, we have to realize that in regards to obedience, we're all in a fight for our lives. Because if you're not keeping the whole thing, you're not keeping the thing. And that's a challenging thing. And so there is a total need for complete commitment and diligence to it. And when you realize that you are in a fight for your life, you start thinking that way. I think it was, it was John Owen, the great Puritan, who said you're either killing sin or sin is killing you. And the idea here is that it's not like, uh, well, you, know, you get your punches and I get my punches in and we're all fine. It's like, no, it's either you're getting pummeled or you're pummeling it. And so the idea of this complete and total dedication and diligence... Is necessary. And then notice it also says, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. Now, this is important. How often do we forget God's faithfulness in our lives? It's so easy to forget what God has done. And what happens is oftentimes when we start to struggle and be tempted, we begin to forget how amazing God was. And we see the children of Israel that way, right? In the book of Exodus and in Leviticus and in the book of Numbers, where although they were slaves in Egypt, they forgot what God did for them in Egypt. And they began to have a selective memory of remembering what Egypt was like. Remember, they were slaves and they were being persecuted and they had to make these bricks and they weren't even giving them straw and they're like, but they're in the wilderness like, we had meat to eat in Egypt. You had meat to eat but you were slaves. They were forgetting what God had done. That's why I encourage you, in the Bible they call it the idea of the memorial stones, the Ebenezer stones, the stones of remembrance, where when something would happen, they would stack stones on top of it. Now now maybe you go to Eugene or Ashland, and it's kind of like a hippie thing where they just stack stones everywhere. But back in the day, when something special happened, they commemorated that with these stones, that every time they would see it, they would remember what God did. Like when they cross over the Jordan, they're going to stack some stones. You can imagine every time someone was by that area of the Jordan River, they'd see those stacked stones, they're like, Oh, that's where God parted the Jordan River for us. And so in a lot of ways, those ways of remembrance are important. You might say, well, that's Old Testament stuff. What about today? Well, what about the Lord's table? When you take that bread and that cup, you're meant to remember Jesus, who he is, and what he's done, that the work is finished, that you are invited to be part of God's family. See, we need to learn how to remember the faithfulness of God. Right now, I think some of you, God is speaking to you right now, saying, don't forget how faithful I've been. Don't forget what I've done. You've seen my hand move in extraordinary ways. Trust me. See, God's faithfulness in the past is a great encouragement to trust in his provision in the present and future. I'm going to say that again. God's faithfulness in the past becomes shoulders that we can stand on to trust God's provision in the present and the future. And God is faithful. But oftentimes, we forget how faithful God has been and we begin to doubt and we begin to worry and we begin to scheme. That's what happens. Now, he says, not only do I don't want you to forget, but he's like, but if you forget, you're going to stray. That's what he says. Last day depart, middle of verse 9. From your heart all the days of your life. See, if you forget, you'll stray. But notice, he doesn't want. Not only does he not want them to stray, he wants them to drill down the truths of God into their future generations. Verse nine, and teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. Now listen, this is important because we live in a day and age that's so weird, right? Like, if you love Jesus and you have kids, right, you want to raise them to love Jesus, but then you have people saying, well. You can't teach your kids religion because you're brainwashing them. Did you ever hear that? Have you ever heard that? You know, it's funny. What they're saying is we want to brainwash your kids. You're not allowed to do your own kids. Because all education is a form of brainwashing. When education happens, you are explaining to somebody the way the world works. And every single thing a person learns is an attempt at brainwashing. And so what happens is for people who love Jesus, like, well, I don't really want to give my child a religion because that's not fair. Because someone told you along the way you shouldn't brainwash your kids. And really what they're saying is, I don't want any competition. I want your kids to be the way I want them to be. I don't want you to have a saying. And I just think that's lousy parenting. The last thing you want to do as a parent is abandon your children's spiritual life to somebody who didn't create them and raise them. And you and I as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, we all have a responsibility in the discipling of our children. One of the things that gets me so excited about Crossroads, my kids are young. Pastor Ryan is my kid's pastor. And when something goes on, I'm like, you should go talk to your pastor, Pastor Ryan. You know why I do that? Because I know sometimes I don't want to listen to dad but they will listen to Pastor Ryan. And it's a good thing. Like right now, Obadiah's been filling out his kids' ministry application. I'm gonna go serve with Pastor Ryan. I'm like, good, you should serve with your pastor. It's good. And I like that because me and Lynn, we're pouring in our kids and we're teaching them the word and we're praying with them and we're, we're praying for them when they're not there and we're helping to nurture them. But we need reinforcements. We need other people to come alongside and be a part of their lives. And I love that, because our pastoral staff here, they're all pouring into my kids. And there's men and women here. Like, there's a young man who's been serving in Crossroads Kids. His name is Chris. He's a young man. He's totally impacted my son's life. Like, literally, he's like, well, Chris said this. I'm like, well, right on for Chris. I'm like, you listen to that boy. He's like, he's fun. You know, he's like, Chris is fun. He's more fun than you. I'm like, right on. But he's telling you the word. See, we need to place the reality of God in the hearts of our kids. Because you know what the world will teach our kids if we don't place the reality of God? Our world's gonna teach them that they're God's. And guess what, they ain't. I love my kids, they are not God. Trust me, I know. But we need to make that investment. Now listen, you might be saying, well look, I'm not married, or I never had kids, or we we got married and we were never able to have kids. Be a spiritual parent. I'll be honest with you, in my own life, there's been men and women who've come alongside me who've been spiritual parents, invested in my life and in my heart, changed my life. I learned about what a godly woman was. My mother passed away before I got saved. I didn't even, you know, it's like I found out what a godly woman was from my spiritual mom, who was a pastor's wife, who poured into my life and helped me understand what a woman of God was like. And so don't ever think, well, that's, God hasn't given me that. No, we all have an opportunity to serve, to bless, to invest. When you're in the family room and as a little kid comes running up, you spend some time and you talk to that little guy, that little girl. That's one of my favorite things as a pastor. The family room is so much fun for me because the kids come on up, I give them high fives, sprinkles, fist pumps. Hey, what'd you learn in kids' church? I was schooled today. Because I want to make a deposit for their parents, for God's kingdom. A deposit in godliness, a deposit in God's word. And God mandated that the children of Israel pass this information down. And really, he's saying, not only just pass the information down, but really tell them about what happened when I met you on Mount Sinai. Right? He places them like, I really want you to know when we're on the mountain and you heard my voice and the thunder and the darkness and the thick darkness. It's like, you know, looking for words. It was like, it was dark. It was super dark. It was crazy. You didn't see a form, but you heard my voice. The Ten Commandments, the two tablets of stone. Make sure they know those. You know what's amazing? If you talk to somebody who's Jewish, they're pushing that stuff into their kids. They're not messing around. I mean, you think about the children of Israel. There's never been a group of people who've been displaced from their homeland for more than a couple generations that were able to completely retain their cultural heritage like the children of Israel. It's really powerful. you got to think that not only were they exiled with the Babylonians and the Assyrians, and then they ended up being able to come back some 70 years later, but then after the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. by the armies of Titus Vespasian, they were off their land for literally almost 1,800 years, and yet they still completely retained a cultural identity. And there was attempts of complete extermination by the Nazis and across history, other groups of people, but yet they still completely retain their cultural heritage without any homeland. It's completely unique. Why? Because they took this part of God's word really seriously. They were not ashamed to say, this is who our God is, and this is what he's done. This is how he met our ancestors all the way down the line. He met them here at Mount Horeb, and he changed their lives. And he gave them these commandments on two tablets of stones. Now, we're going to get to these commandments, a refresh of the Ten Commandments, in chapter 5. And my guess is that'll be in a couple studies from now, because I'm pretty sure I'm not going to make it to the end of this chapter today. But the beauty is we'll just pick up wherever we leave off. Amen? Amen. Verse 15, look at what it says. Take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourself carved images in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air. That's verse 17. Verse 18, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth, And take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the people under the whole heaven as a heritage. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people in inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes, and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance But I must die in this land. I must not cross over the Jordan, but you shall cross over and possess that good land. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now, he jumps right into the fact that idolatry is a problem, right? And so, remember he makes the case, you didn't see a form, right? And because you didn't see a form when God spoke to you at Horeb, make sure you don't act corruptly by making yourself some sort of an image of God. And so, this really speaks to, in the first tablet of the commandments, you shall make no carved image. Now, you have to realize that in the culture that this was happening, that's what people did. They would make all sorts of statues and they worship the statue, Right? Now, you might say, well, I I can't believe that that's really going on. But if you've ever traveled specifically to the Eastern nations, you see a lot of this still going on. Or if you go to one of those hippie kind of towns in America, there's always those shops where you can buy this thing and this thing. It's the dragon. It's the gargoyle woman. It's this thing. And it's like they have those things, and they put little rice off. When I went to Nepal to do missionary work, they were giving rice offerings to these little statues. I'm talking to this monk. I'm like, so what are you doing? Like, well, we're giving a gift to God. And I'm like really? I mean, he hungry? <laughs> That's my New Jersey coming out. But, but sh- like, listen, if your God needs to be fed, you got a problem. and not a dog. and not a dog. But it's an express commandment not to create some sort of an image of God that you're going to worship. Right? And so you get this. Even in some factions within christianity they have these crosses and these little things and madonna and child and they revere these things which is a huge problem because god is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth now someone's bound to say well hey so we have a cross in the crossroads sanctuary what's up there ain't no one worshiping that that's just a stone of remembrance this just reminds us every day that Jesus died and rose again because we're sinners. But the first moment I see someone putting a flower on that thing or giving up some rice or something to it, I'm eating the rice. I'm taking the flower, put it in my hair. Did <laughs> you ever see me in a flower in a hair knowing someone's getting cheeky with the cross, you know? <laughs> but you don't want to worship the sun, the moon, the stars. You don't want to make little, my God's a little cricket animal. Don't worship your dog. He might be your friend, but he's not your God. Even though your cat thinks it's a god. Those of you who have cats know what I'm talking about, right? The cat's like, I'll ignore you until I want something from you. And then he comes over, he wants its worship, and he goes away again. That's why you're like, that's why I'm a dog lover. I don't like those idolatrous cats, right? (laughs) Anyway, but that's the way cats roll, right? Like, for dogs, the master's god. And for the cats, they're god. So anyway, I don't know how I got off on that. Anyway. So I pretty much just offended dog lovers and cat lovers and everybody else. So just another day at Crossroads. Anyway, don't make any carved images in any way, shape, or form, because God is without form and void, and everything that you can see is part of God's created order, which is not the creator, it is the created. Right? And that's what it says in Romans chapter 1, that one of the brokennesses in the heart of humanity is that we want to exalt the creature rather than the creator. Right? So every time you see something that God has made that you think is pretty awesome, you should say, praise the creator for making something so awesome. But you don't praise the creature for being awesome. You're just grateful that the creator God made it. And so everything that we can see and embrace and hold in our hands, we should turn into an act of worship where we say, God, you are good and you're crazy good at being creative. And all this stuff that you made is amazing and it blows my mind. And we worship you and you alone. Thank you for showing us these pictures of your power and your Godhoodness based on these things that you've made. we got to make sure we always only worship the creator and not the created. Now, from there, he reminds them in verse 20, the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt to be his people and inheritance as it is this day. He reminds them that they were slaves in Egypt, and now he has brought them to be his people And then he reminds them in verse 21 that he is not going into the promised land, that God has gotten angry with him and that he was not allowed to cross over, that he was going to die in the wilderness. Now, we saw this and we've talked about this many, many, many times. But what we find is that Moses sinned because he misrepresented God to the people. And a lot of people want to say, well, I don't understand why God would be so upset. I mean, Moses was by and large a good leader, but he was fallen. But sometimes, well, look, all the time sin has consequences. And the fact that we can sin and still live a little longer is an example of God's grace. But just because we get it good a lot of the time or some of the time doesn't mean that we should ever be entitled to all that God wants to do because God is God. And so part of some of these things, we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to learn to trust in your wisdom and in your guidance in the midst of it. And so he's reminding them, I'm not going to be able to go over, but you are. And we've talked about this with Moses, how beautiful it is that he, although not getting to experience the promised land, he's still trying to set up the generation that will. And that's an important thing, to be selfless in that way. Now, In verse 23 and verse 24, and I'm going to close here. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. You make for yourself a carved image in the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. See, notice it says, don't forget the covenant that God made. Covenant is a big biblical word. And an important biblical word. You can almost interpret the entire Bible just based on covenant. It's an agreement that God has unilaterally made with his people. And he's saying, look, I am covenanting with you. I am committing myself to your betterment and your blessing.
1: Jesus is- God's covenant with the nation of Israel began with one man, Abraham. God chose him to be the father of these people, his chosen people. Pastor Daniel reminded you that throughout history, the Israelites have always been known to be God's people, even when displaced from their land. God has held up his end of the covenant with them time and time again, and will continue to do so. And he's offering a covenant to you as well if you're ready to let Jesus be your savior. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I wanna be honest with you for a moment.
0: Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus,
1: no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue to remind you of the importance of studying and applying God's word. It's not just suggestions you're reading in the pages of Deuteronomy. You're learning who God is, who your creator is. He isn't passive. He is powerful, wise, and engaged in this world. And he has a plan for you. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Refresh. Until then, may God bless.